you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Continue to study the word of the Lord. We have been in a holiness series for a little while, and we're going to continue in that vein tonight. Next week, I'm very excited to announce next Wednesday, uh, my wife is going to be speaking. So we're excited about that and looking forward to hearing her speak next Wednesday evening and um, looking forward to what the Lord has in store. Tonight, I'm going to continue in the vein of our holiness series and we're going to be talking tonight about legalism uh, or holiness, legalism versus holiness. And uh, we're going to kind of look at the two tonight and make some comparisons between um, between a, a view of legalism versus a view of holiness. Now, we live in a day in which many, many people say that our separation from the world is, um, is a legalistic view. Uh, others argue and, and say, well, uh, it's not. Um, if there are dress codes and there are conduct codes uh, for many businesses and many places that, that you work. And although those uh, make good arguments, sometimes they still fall right in line with the idea of what we do uh, and how we, uh, how we approach our separation, our... Um, our apostolic identity, if I may use that phrase tonight, um, our apostolic identity, if we're not careful, we will approach it from an angle of legalism instead of an angle of holiness. Truly, God is holy. And to be godlike uh, is to uh, approach or to assimilate holiness and pleasing God. And that ultimately is what uh, we must strive to do, and that is pleasing, be pleasing unto the Lord, and so to please God. And so it is completely different if our attempt to please God is an obedience to a list, a rule book, a handbook, uh, or whether it is a heart matter of an attempt to please God out of the fullness and completion of our heart because we know it pleases God. And so what we do is
is not because it is a list of do's and don'ts, a list of if I get caught doing this, the church will excommunicate me. Uh, that is not the idea of our apostolic identity or our separation from the world. It is a, a matter of our heart. It is a matter of pl being pleasing unto the Lord. Let's go to Romans, the seventh chapter. We're going to go into the book of Romans tonight, and I'm going to read for a few moments. Uh, we're going to read for a little bit, beginning with the 14th verse, and we're going to read down through the 25th verse of Romans chapter 7. So if you're following along with me, we will read Romans 7 verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. It's kind of a mouthful there. The apostle is writing and he is saying, I'm, I'm carnal in the flesh, I'm carnal. And I make decisions of the things I'm going to do and I end up doing what I say I'm not going to do. And when I say I'm not going to do something, I do it. When I say I am going to do it, I end up not doing it. Anybody familiar with that? Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth, I want you to say this, this phrase with me, no good thing. No good thing. So if you came tonight for me to get you all hyped up and tell you that everything about you is good, we're going to go a whole different route tonight and declare unto you that in this flesh there is not anything good. In this flesh is the law of sin. In this flesh is no good thing. I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. It's, it's I have good, I'm, I, I want to, I want to do right, I want to live right. But in this flesh there is a struggle, there is a warfare. For the good that I would, I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law. I want you to say that with me, another law. But I see another law in my members. So there's two laws, he's saying. There's two laws in my members. Warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members or in the flesh. O wretched man that I am. 
who shall deliver me from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So two laws in one body. If the Apostle Paul did not escape that war that is going on in the flesh, between the flesh and the spirit, I would venture to say that none of us truly are going to ever conquer the flesh 100%. We, the same apostle goes on to say that he has to keep under, he has to keep under his body. In other words, he, 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 he is fighting this fight and it is a fight to keep under the flesh. Now, this is a very broad passage, very broad text tonight and, and I want you to get I want, I, want, I want you to get what, what the apostle saying, and I, I, I was torn tonight in exactly how to approach this text with, with what I want to talk to you about because there's so many different avenues that we could, that we could take tonight in the teaching that I feel that is so imperative for us. But in laying the groundwork and the foundation I want you to understand, I want to begin tonight, I am, not giving you a, I am not giving you a free pass to sin. I don't want you to get this wrong. I'm never giving you a free pass to sin. There is no free pass to sin. Sin is still sin. It always will be sin. But what the apostle is saying is that there is the law of God, when we are filled with His Spirit, but then there is the law of sin that controls the flesh. And so here we are in a warfare within the same body. You ever, If you ever struggle and feel that, my goodness, I'm trying with everything I have, but I'd seem like I just can't ever get it exactly right, you may be in good company. But don't stop fighting the good fight. Keep on fighting. Keep on warring. Keep on struggling. Somebody said, man, I've been, trying to, I've been trying to quit an addiction. Don't stop trying to quit the addiction. Somebody said, well, I'm a failure. Every time I try to, it is, you don't, don't feel like you're a failure. You keep fighting. You keep fighting the good fight. You keep warring. Well, I, I try to keep, keep my temper, but I, I, I just keep struggling with it. Just keep on fighting because if you ever turn it loose and allow it to run in neutral, then you're going to lose the battle. And so in, the, in, this, in this body, in this flesh, there is, there is a constant struggle. And yet, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God within us. And that is, our, that is our director, that is our comfort, that is, that is our helper, that is our strength. And so here in this, we, we're, we're battling with the law of God that we have received and then we're battling with the law of the flesh which is always contrary 
to the Spirit. And so in our, in our body, there is the law, of, the law of sin and the law of God. And so in our attempt to reach our apostolic separation, our, our apostolic identity, There is, there is a process. Uh, let, me, let me take a little time tonight. And there is a process that we must be willing to endure. And, and somebody feels like, well, some of these things are very, very small. I, I have something really major that I battle in the flesh. I battle... Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something very strong, uh, something you're, you're really struggling with in the flesh. I want to try to help you understand tonight that while you're fighting that, as you are winning battles in other areas of your life, you are becoming stronger and stronger. And the more small battles that you win, the closer to winning the war that you're becoming. So here we are struggling. We are battling. And in this, in this flesh, we are battling some major, major forces of hell that we are battling. But then, but then there are other things that may seem to be very small and insignificant. Are they significant? That's the question I want to bring to you. Are they significant? They seem to be insignificant. They seem to be unimportant. When we have these mountains of struggles, yet some of the other things that seem to be so small for us, things such as the way we conduct ourselves, the places we go, the things we do. Are these things really important when I am battling a much greater obstacle in the flesh? I'm battling a strong addiction. I'm battling some real issues that, that are overwhelming me. So should I focus on just overcoming this major issue once I've had so many people tell me once I get this issue under control then I'm going to handle all the other things most likely you will never handle the major thing until you begin to handle some of those things that may seem to be less of less importance I'm not minimizing the importance by the way that I'm saying that tonight what I intend to, be, to say to you is that sometimes it is the victory in the small things that gives us the courage to be able to tackle the next things. I learned in a finance class that in order to overcome and, and control finances, particularly if finances get out of control, anybody ever had your finances get out of control? None of you? Oh, three, three of you, three of you. Well, let me talk to you three that have had finances get out of control before. In order to 
the very the very simple very simple process of getting finances back under control they say is to tackle the smallest and get it paid off and then take what you were paying on the smallest on that small debt and add it to the next and and you just keep doing that well, a lot of people would say, no, it's this big, you know, what, what the struggle is, it's my home mortgage. You know, I need to get my house paid off. If I get my house paid off, then I'll pay off all of these small things. Actually, if we handle them in reverse, we are much more successful in reaching and obtaining. So we start with the small things and grow toward the larger things. I'm trying to help you understand where I'm coming from tonight. So in, in our struggle for holiness and separation and apostolic identity, sometimes people say, these Pastor, some of these things seem to be so small and so insignificant. Let me ask a question. If they are so small and so insignificant, why do some people wrestle with giving something up? Why do some people wrestle with not going certain places or doing certain things? Or Anybody with me tonight? If they're so simple and so easily controlled, why then is there a wrestling match going on to try to hold on to those things of the world? Maybe they're not so insignificant because the flesh desires them, because you want them. And so what I am presenting to you tonight is that we begin to conquer some of the seemingly insignificant things, smaller things, things that we're not, you know, those are small things. I can control those things in my life. Then prove that you can control them. Truly control them, not for a week, not for a little while. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were, they were asking me about someone being used in certain areas of ministry. And my response or my reply to them was, I want to see them live consistent where they are with what they have before I then take another step and give them more responsibility I want to see them be faithful in the small things. That is a biblical principle, you know. And so in our striving for, for holiness and godliness, begin to work on some of the small things and conquer the small things. Now, this is where we often reach the point of saying, okay, Pastor, I, I want to know, I had someone actually just a few weeks ago came, visited our church a few times, just a couple of services, visited, met with me a couple of times, and came in and said, all right, I need to know what your church is about. And so we talked to him a little bit. I, I met with him, talked to him, talked to him a little bit about the church, and they were very, very, very interested in our apostolic identity. And this was a little bit of a hang-up for them, and they began to ask me a lot of questions up front, and I began to explain to them, Wait, 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 wait. Before we get into, before we start worrying about some of these things, let's start worrying about some, let's, let's do the first things first. Let's get some of the first things first. And, of course, they were trying to get the cart ahead of the horse. You ever talk to anybody that's 
That's how they're running. They're trying to, they're trying to deal with, with some things. I have people come, and the first thing they want to know is they start talking about the book of Revelation. They're trying to figure out, uh, you know, about the seven horses of the apocalypse and, and Daniel's image and trying to unfold all of these things. And I'm standing here uh, asking them, to, can you give me three scriptures on, on the Godhead? Can you give me the basic plan of salvation? And so we need to be careful to always keep the main thing the main thing. Keep, keep, things, keep things in order. So this, this gentleman I was meeting with, he said, Well, Pastor, what I'd like for you to do is I want you to make a list of all the requirements. And I smiled at him and I said, I'm not going to give you any list of any requirements. And he said, well, if I can't get a list of requirements of do's and don'ts, I said, well, I'll tell you what. I reached over and I picked up my Bible and I said, here's your list. Here's your list. I want you to read this. I want you to get in this book. And I want you to let this book. Well, no, I, I want to know how you feel about things. I, I said, you're not going to get a list from me. Let, 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 me, let me help you with this. I, I do, do this with me. I want everybody in the room, I want you to close your eyes, all right? I want everybody to close your eyes. We're going to play a little game here, all right? So I want everybody in the room to close your eyes if you would. And I, I want you, now I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody that did not have supper this evening before service, I do not want you to think about what you're going to eat after church, all right? I don't want you thinking about dinner. I don't want you thinking about those things could distract you from this lesson that I'm teaching tonight, all right? I, I don't want you to think about, do not start thinking about a nice, juicy steak, a ribeye, cooked medium. Do, do, not think, do not think about food. I do, I do not want you to think on food. Do not start thinking about the sides that you would like with that steak. I don't want you thinking on those things. All right, so I want you to purify your mind right now. Nobody's thinking about thinking about dinner. I, I don't don't start thinking about that potato and all the fixings and the salads that goes with. Do not think on food. I do not want you thinking about those things or what you would drink with that steak. I, I do not want you thinking about food or thinking about dinner. I I, I don't want I don't want you to think about how how you would enjoy it and savor it and see it laying on the plate and I, I don't want you thinking about food because it could distract you from what I'm what I'm going to do tonight all right so now now everyone open your eyes and look at me now how many of you how many of you are ready to go eat right about now all right now, now let me let me help you with something unfortunately sometimes we focus so much on the things that we do not want to do or should not do and they become the focus and every day we get up and we go down our list of God help me not to do this and not to do this and, and it's, we keep it in our forefront, in the forefront of our mind. And while we're not intending to dwell on it, we are dwelling on things that God is wanting to give us the victory over. Maybe, maybe, when the writer said, I will not set any 
evil thing before my eyes. I think he was giving us some insight into what we put in our vision. Sometimes in an attempt to, 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 become, to, to become what God wants us to become, we get our focus, we get our focus on all the things that we would not do and should not do and don't want to do until those things start looking attractive to us and we start getting interested in them. And if we're not careful, we end up getting trapped by them. Then the same thing that we try to avoid becomes the same thing that we end up sinking into. I believe that's what the apostle is saying here in the book of Romans. The things that we would not do, we end up doing because we create some sort of mindset that it's always in the forefront. And we get up every day and start saying, God, help me because here's my list of things that I do not want to do. The Apostle Paul talks about the law. Let's talk about this for a little bit. First, I want to talk about the authority of the law. The law is absolute, meaning that there is no variableness. A law is, there is no variableness. I, I want to help us with our mindset a little bit tonight. Can I do that? We want to work on our mindset a little bit tonight. In With the law, with the law, or the rule, if I may say, there is no variableness. It is a list. This is what I, I must do. Some people, and it, it's built in our personalities, in our DNA. For some, some people live their life by a checklist. You know, they just, all they need to do is give me the checklist of what I need to work on, what I need to do, and I'll just go through and check those things off. And as soon as I get those things checked off, we have accomplished we, have, we, we think, well, when the checklist is done, then, then I must have accomplished everything that, that I need to accomplish. That is a, a very much of a law mentality. The law is the instrument that we use to measure. We measure sin by. Now, now let's, let's, use, uh, let's find one of these couples. There's Brother Gary and Sister Nancy sitting over here tonight. Uh, we'll use we'll use them for an example tonight. All right, it's going to be pick on the Irons family tonight. All right, so um, they've been married for uh, I don't know how old Moses was when y'all got married, but you you've been married for a while, married for a while, fifty years, almost fifty, almost. That's that's an accomplishment. That's an accomplishment. Almost fifty years. So when they made a commitment, they they. They took vows, and the vows was to love one another. And so when one of them gets sick, who do you think is going to be there by their side? The other one. They've been married 50 years. They can probably answer for one another. I've been married for 30, almost 30 years, and uh, pretty much my wife can answer for me. Uh, I, I, I haven't figured women out yet, so I can't answer for her. But she can answer. She can pretty much answer for me. And I'm going to agree with whatever she says, most likely. Um, um, so, so when the doctor tells Brother Gary uh, not to overexert himself doing yard work or working on a house, who, who do you think that's going to be right there making sure that he's not overexerting himself and reminding him, well, you know you're not supposed to be doing that. 
you know you shouldn't be doing that. You know that's, uh, you know don't don't get too hot. Don't don't you know. Um, now now for the Ironses, they've been married fifty years. They've made it through. They've been through a few things, uh, and and for the Ironses, it's it's not about rules. I can tell you. Uh, I doubt, I doubt very seriously that Gary's going home tonight and going to write down a list of 50 things that he wants Nancy to take care of and do and exactly what he expects. She, she, I doubt that's going to happen. That's probably not going to happen. They, they, they pretty much know what those rules are, I'm, I'm guessing. They pretty much, pretty much have it figured out. But I, so... The issue is, is that they've been married long enough that in their, in their marriage relationship, without, without a lot of focus and getting frustrated of creating lists of do's and don'ts, there has become a relationship between the two of them that they sense what one likes or doesn't like, and in their, in their relationship, they just simply have learned how to work together and how to please one another. Now, let me help you with this. This is the type of relationship that God is looking for with us. That's why that He uses the marriage relationship when He talks about His relationship with the church. He uses the husband and wife, marriage relationship. And so for all of you that's married or been married very long, Dylan and Isaac, I think you guys are, are the odd men out tonight. Most every, well, uh, there's Braxton over here. Well, there's a few more. There's, there's a few young adults. So when you first get married, of course, how many of you remember those days when you're always trying to figure out the other one and trying to please the other one and you're trying to remember in the back of your mind uh, exactly what you're supposed to do and, and occasionally dad needs to step in and say, you know, gent, you shouldn't go leave your wife sitting in the truck at the hunting lease like you did last night. Without self-service. Poor girl, she wanted to ride along with her husband. He just left her sitting in the truck and went out and did what he needed to do at the hunting lease. Not a good move. All the married folks understand that. It's a bad, everybody agree with me, that's a bad move. That does not get you any favors. That's just, you're, you're not going the right direction. This is not, this marriage is, this marriage needs some work. But Brother Gary, see, he's been married a while and he already knows that. He doesn't need that list. He already knows. He knows better. As a matter of fact, I've been married 30 years and I know better than even ask my wife. If she suggests that she rides along, I modify my plans to make sure she's going to have a good time. And when she says, is that what you had planned? Yes, ma'am. Because it's more about relationship. It's more about relationship. And so 
when relationship gets involved, it stops being about my my to-do list so that I make her happy or him happy or so that I make God happy and and, and pastor's going to be okay and the church is going to be okay because I'm not breaking all the rules. Anybody with me tonight? I'm trying to help somebody tonight to understand it's about relationship with God. And when we get in relationship with God, it starts being about, I wonder how God feels about this. I've had people call me and say, Pastor, how do you feel about this? Should we go here? Should we do that? I I don't even want to answer those questions. Let me ask you, how do you think God feels about it? How about you answering the question? You think God's okay. Would you go if God's sitting next to you? I know most of the young people are out, and there's a few that's left here in this room tonight, but can I say, even in the dating relationship and to the young adults, I often say, just, you know, when they want to say, well, Pastor, you know, you need to probably talk to, the, to these, these young guys that are dating and this sort of thing. Uh, just the best thing that I could say to them, just, just when you're dating, just act like God. Just, you know, he's riding right there. And, and if he's all right with it, then I'm going to be all right with it. You, you probably don't need a list because you'll find a way to get around. Come on, I'm talking to some adults that know you skirted those rules too. When we make it about rules, we find ways to bend them. We find ways to get around them. Well, I didn't exactly do, it isn't about that. It's about relationship with God. It's about pleasing God. It's about doing His will. It's about pleasing Him. We must move beyond the list idea uh, and, and because we start making it, 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 am I legal with this? Is this, am I good? As long as I'm following this list, the list becomes legal. But holiness in, in, in the truest sense is a spiritual thing. It is a spiritual thing. And it is not about my list. It is about my heart being right with God and me me wanting to please Him in what I do and how I act and where I go and where I don't go and the, the things. So it becomes about my heart wanting to please Him and delighting in what I'm doing because it's relationship. Instead of my list being burdensome. If your apostolic identity is burdensome, it's because you're looking at it from a legalistic list point of view instead of looking at it from a holiness point of view and understanding I'm just wanting to please God. There's nobody giving me a list and telling me what I've got to do. I'm going to do what the Word of God tells me to do because I love Him and I delight to do what He is asking of me. So it starts being about love and service. You move from legalistic to relationship, and it is, it is very simple. It, is, it begins with an attitude change, with a mindset change, longing to please Him in every way that you can, rather than longing to finish the checklist. <laughs> 
It's the difference in serving God out of requirement or serving God out of relationship. Let's take the Word of God, for instance. It gives us requirements. But the Word of God itself is not, in its totality, is not about its requirements. They're there. They exist. But it's about the relationship. When the relationship is right, the requirements automatically fall in line. But if we try to serve God based on the requirements without the relationship, we're never going to get it right. And it's always going to be a struggle. And it's... So we, we serve God out of relationship. So the law, the law is the... The, the law d- does not bend. The law is, is strong. Let's look at the second thing about the law, and that is the purpose of the law. The, the first purpose of the law is to reveal what is right and what is wrong. Without the law, we would not know what sin is. But the second pers- purpose of the law is to show the sinfulness of sin. And I do want to talk about this for, for a few moments. The law allows us to understand that there is such a thing as sin. And the church, as much as we celebrate the grace and mercy of God, must never move so much in our joyous celebration in the mercy and grace of God that we stop preaching and teaching that sin is rampant and very real. And sin does not enter heaven. And God is not pleased with sin. If we're not careful through our celebration of the grace and mercy of God, we will excuse sin as mere mistakes, shortcomings, and weaknesses and not take sin seriously. The purpose, the purpose of the law was to teach us that there is such a thing as sin. We all like to think that we're all good people. And most of us are good people. And we like to think that we don't do anything too bad. And most of us perhaps don't. We try to do good and we try to live right and figure if we stay away from the big stuff, then we're going to be fine. But what we fail to realize is that sin is still a heart matter. And so when we conquer the big things, and I often mention things like addiction because there's more people even in and around the church, dealing with major addictions, it would blow some of our minds if we knew the level of addiction. With the internet being available 24-7 and the privacy of our own cell phones, pornography is so rampant, even in the church, More than 50%, something like 60 or 70% of men in society struggle with pornography. And more than 30% and rising 
of females are struggling with pornography. These are major issues in society. And people in the church struggle likewise. And if we write it off to, oh well, everybody does it, we can easily reach a point to where we start seeing some of these major addictions as being, well, no big deal. Sin, ladies and gentlemen, is still sin. And God gave us the law to recognize that sin is still sin. And we must never excuse our sin to being, well, it's not as bad as something else or someone else. We all deal with sin issues on different levels. Sin is an issue of the flesh. 1 John chapter 1 verse number 8. For all of the holy and righteous that feel like that you absolutely never deal with the issue of sin. Can I say, read 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This means that there is, there is a way out of sin. I do not believe, I do not believe that the Bible gives a child of God the right to just say, this is how I am and who I am and I will continue in my sin. The scripture teaches in its totality, and I don't have time to follow every avenue of the things that I'm telling you with scriptural props tonight, but I do want to tell you that when we are born again, we must strive, and that is through our apostolic identity, our holiness and separation from the world. We must strive to move away from sin. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yes, there is always the tendency of sin in the flesh, but we can't write it off and say, well, everybody sins, so I'm just going to sin, so I'm just going to enjoy my sin. That is not the idea of the grace of God. Do we frustrate the grace of God to continue living in sin? The apostle says, God forbid. But we must, we must attempt, we must strive, we must work toward, not through our list of, well, I didn't you know, here's my list, and I, I checked them all off today, and I didn't sin today, and so I'll get up tomorrow and go through my checklist. It must become a matter of the heart and an attitude of how we are living, and we are choosing to say, I choose to serve God. The purpose of the law is to show us that, that there is such a thing as sin, and that our sin will separate us from God. But the law also shows us that it has some inabilities. And there is the inability of the law that I want to talk to you about. We now get to one of my favorite parts of our text. Here Paul tells us three things that the law cannot do. Number one, the law cannot change your heart. The law cannot change you. The law is holy, just, good, and spiritual. 
These things are all true, not denying that. But the law, however, cannot change you. The law will expose you. Yes, it does point out things that are wrong, but it does not change you. Number two, the law cannot empower you to do good. The law exposes and shows us what's wrong. Despite how hard you try in the flesh, you still have this bad seed in your life that will ruin everything. And the third thing is, is that the law cannot set you free. The law, as a matter of fact, brings about bondage because we cannot in the flesh live up to the level of the law. Paul is concluding this section of Scripture when he points out that he is a wretched man who is trapped in this body and as hard as he tries, he cannot get free. As a matter of fact, he gives a very significant depiction of that day when one was condemned because they had murdered an innocent person. That dead body would be strapped to the back of the murderer and he had to live with the dead body strapped onto his back until the decaying, rotting flesh of the person that he murdered begins to infect his own body and he dies a very slow cruel death because there is a dead body strapped onto his back. It was intended to destroy him and to kill him. Thus the apostle Paul said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He is given a depiction of the dead man that is strapped onto his back. He is saying, I want to live unto Christ, but I've got this, this body, this flesh that I'm dealing with, and if I'm not careful, it's going to destroy me. I cannot do it in the flesh. This is what he's saying. The law cannot set you free. The law can convict you, but it does not have the power to free you. Thus, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. Oh, somebody ought to get happy about that. Jesus Christ came not to condemn the law, but to fulfill the law and to say, I am going to do everything that the law cannot do without Jesus Christ fulfilling it. The law was incomplete until Jesus came along. Jesus completed the law. He fulfilled the law. So then the inability of the law is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The law could not change you, but Jesus can change your life. The law cannot empower you to do good, but Jesus, through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, can empower you to live a changed and overcoming life. You can't do it in the flesh. 
but by the power of the Holy Ghost. You can live in a sinful world and live above sin. Does it mean you're never going to make a mistake? No. You're still going to have mistakes. You're never going to always get it right. But the Holy Ghost will empower you and the grace of God will cover you and you will be able to make the changes that God is calling us to. Not through a list of what I've got to do and cannot do. That's the legalistic view. But through holiness and separation from the world saying I am going to please God because he's empowering me. He has changed me and he has set me free. The law has never set a man free. But Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost has set men free. You realize that you failed? The law didn't fail you. You failed in the flesh. Under the law, if you failed, you're done. You're finished. There's no second chance. It's over. But Jesus came and said, that law is incomplete. I came to fulfill the law, and he fulfilled the law, and he came with grace and mercy and truth. And so he came, and he says, here is truth. The truth will set you free. The truth will change your life. And he comes and says, I will give you mercy. So if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, or he has already paid the price for us to be able to get back up and keep going so don't live every day biting my fingernails uh, off saying oh I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake today I'm afraid I'm going to fail God today instead I'm going to get up every day and say God I've got a task set before me and I need your grace and mercy and I need your truth to guide me and I'm going to try my best to live up to the level of the truth that you have given me and Lord I'm going to live by it to the fullest and I want to please you today and God thank you for truth. Thank you for grace and mercy that's going to cover me. In conclusion, the whole issue of holiness versus legalism. Legalism is asking, what do I have to do? Holiness is asking, what can I do that will honor God? Legalism is worrying about how good I am. Holiness is admitting how bad I am. How much I need God. Legalism, legalism is comparing yourself with others. Holiness is comparing yourself with God. When somebody comes and says, oh, look how holy I am, your holiness is like filthy rags in comparison with me. Legalism is saying, I have never sinned that bad. Holiness is saying, I have sinned and I need a Savior. Legalism is believing that you can do it by yourself. Holiness is saying, I can't do it without the help of God. Legalism is saying, I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like other men. Holiness is saying, for all have sinned. Legalism is saying, why do those people deserve my help? Holiness is saying, I don't deserve the help that God gave me. Let me explain some of my philosophy with you. Perhaps you've noticed, and by now in this lesson tonight, 
I think I've made it very clear. I don't do a whole lot of list making of do's and don'ts. We have requirements. If you're going to be in the choir and be on the platform, we have le- we, we do have we have requirements, and, and and those things must. We have we have house rules. Those things must. Leadership. We, yes, I, I'm not. But but perhaps you've noticed that I don't I don't deal with a lot of I don't do a lot of talk about what you can do and cannot do. I don't give you a list of stuff, a list of things. Holiness is not about the list of do's and don'ts. I don't want to fill your mind with stuff you can do and can't do and must do. And so somebody says, well, look at all these things that I've done. There's there's people that's going to stand before God on judgment day and the scripture says they're going to say, well, Lord, we even cast out devils. Look at this list of all the things we did in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. In other words, there's no relationship there. I want our minds and our hearts to go from asking, what do I have to do? To saying, what can I do? This is the difference between legalistic thinking and holiness thinking. It is about relationship. I close close with David in Psalm chapter 40. He gives us some insight. And he's using an Old Testament narrative and a description of the servant. One who is a servant who is purchased and taken into captivity. He is, for lack of a better term, he is a slave. He, he is a slave to a taskmaster. He has been purchased or traded and he is put into the workforce of the master and he has to perform up to the level of the master. He's given a place to stay. He's given enough food to get by and his life consists of only fulfilling the responsibilities of the contractual agreement of his owner. His master controls him, rules him, decides what he will eat, what he will wear, when he will work, how long he will work, what he will do. And so he's working as a slave for the master. He is is working and he is striving. And then comes the year of Jubilee. The year that all debts are paid. The year that Everybody that is bound is set free. And now the servant is now free. He's free to go. He's been working in the house, but now everyone is set free. They are free to go. But the issue is, is the servant has been working in the house of the master. Some may look at the master and he would say, there's no way. He is a hard man. He's a hard taskmaster. He's rude. He's mean. He doesn't take care of me. I want out. He runs. He flees. Where does he flee to? He has nowhere to go. He has no home. He has no family to go to. He has no way of earning a living. He has nowhere to go, but he breaks free and he tries to learn to live on his own. He's trying to make it. Many of them die in the process or are captured and taken back into slavery to do it all over again. But then there were those 
There were those who were in the home or in the house of a good master who treated them fair, who treated them with integrity, who treated them well, who gave them plenty of food and a decent place to stay. And they worked for him. And somewhere through the process, there became a relationship that was developed between the servant and the master. Now it is no longer I'm doing it because I'm forced to, but I have a certain sense of feeling responsibility for the home. And now all of a sudden I'm set free. But the servant says, I have nowhere to go. I have no family to go to, nowhere to go. I'm not going back. I choose to stay in the home of the good master. The good master would take the servant and would take him to the doorpost of the home. And he would place him against the doorpost of the home and he would mark him. He would pierce him, if you please. He would take an awl, a piece of steel, often heated in fire to make it quick and as painless as possible and would pierce the ear of the servant. He would drive the awl through the ear and that piercing was a marking. Now the servant is marked. A guest comes to the home of the master there is no honor. There is no honor in the master owning a bunch of servants that are there because he bought them with money. But the honor of the master was that the master was such a good master that he would have servants that wanted to stay, that chose to stay, and would go to him when they are set free to go and say, Master, put my, I, I put my ear to the doorpost. I want you, Lord, would you, would you put the all through? I'm staying now in your home because I choose to stay. I serve you now because I choose to serve you. I could be free. I could go free. I'm a free person. But if you will allow me, I want to stay in your house. Would you mark me as your own? The master takes and pierces the ear and marks him. And forever, he now in the home of the master, now no longer lives as the life of, of, the, of the slave, but now he lives as a servant of love. He's there by choice. He's now serving in the master's house because he says, I choose to do so. David picks up with this concept. He has this idea in his poetic writings when he begins to write in Psalm chapter 40, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sacrifice thou hast not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will. David is giving us, he says, Mine ear has thou opened. I delight to do thy will. 
he's given us the image of the servant who says, I'm not living this life. I don't want to be in the church and serving God because this book declares to me of all the list of things that I must do and not do and give up. And people say, oh, this Christian walk, it requires so much. There, 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 I'm not taken away from all the things that are there, but my concept is completely different. I can be free. I can go anywhere I want and do anything I want to do, but I want to run to the altar and say, mark me, put your name upon me. Mark me. God, I want, I delight to do thy will. There's the difference. There's the concept. There's the concept of true holiness. It's not the list of what I have to do or trying to skirt and find a way to get around the edges and bend the rules so that I may slide into glory someday. But instead it is the concept of the heart that says I want the master's been so good to me I could have the whole world if I wanted it but instead I choose to stay at the master's table. I choose to stay at the master. I want to be a servant because it is in my heart to serve him not what I have to do but what can I do what can I do God's calling us church he's calling us to a life of separation he's calling us to a life of separation and holiness unto him we ought to never look at our separated life in some sort of oh look at what all the rest of the world does we can do those things too but has God been good to anybody has he been so good to you that you say I would rather have Jesus than silver or gold I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold take the whole world and give me Jesus stand with me tonight if you would I ask you all over the room, would you join with me in prayer right now? Would you just lift your hands and would you begin to talk to the Lord right now? Would you declare unto Him, God, if my attitude toward holiness and separation and apostolic identity has been wrong, Lord, help me and change me, change my thinking. Help me, Lord, to change my understanding and my thinking toward how that I am living my life. Lord, I want to be pleasing to you in everything that I do. Come on, Lord, pray for yourself tonight. Go ahead, open your mouth and talk to the Lord tonight. Oh, Lord, we delight to do your will. God, we delight to do. Mine ear has now opened, oh, Lord. God, I want to serve you with the abundance of my heart. God, I want to serve you.